followers of Jesus Christ, let us rise and receive the word that the Lord has for us today. <clears throat> today we're reading from Matthew 14, 30 to 33. <clears throat> and in this one, we're kind of partway in a, in, a, in a scripture, I assume that carries on with what Ryan was speaking of last week, where Jesus was walking on the water. So I'll just start a little bit earlier so I'm in the same paragraph. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat... The wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let these be added to our hearts. Thanks, Faye. Well, good morning. It's, it's mornings like this where I'm reminded of a conversation I had a few years ago, probably 10 years ago now, with a former student of mine who, uh, him and his family had moved from Zimbabwe and were, had been in Canada for about five years. And, and uh, I said, so have you gotten used to the winters yet? And he looked at me and said, have you? <laughs> Touche. <laughs> it's good to be here this morning. And uh, I uh, want to just mention a couple of things. First of all, if you're able to join us for, uh, for lunch afterwards, uh, really looking forward to that time and, and certainly want to extend, echo the invitation that Pastor Gary just, uh, just said, but uh, we would love it if you came and joined us and so we can have our conversation about small groups, but more importantly, just, just to get to know each other a bit better and have some good fellowship uh, after service. Uh, also, um, someone, a couple of people have already, have already asked me about this, but um, yes, I do have a black eye. Um, the uh, one of the things that I sh that I'm trying to be intentional with that as a pastor is I don't get to be uh, all that I don't get to interact that that often with non-Christians and and so I'm part of a men's flag football team and uh, and so we play we we get together and we play flag football on Saturday evenings and sometime during the game yesterday I got clipped with an elbow or a shoulder or something in my eye and, and so that's, that's the reason for the black eye. I didn't, uh, didn't step out of turn with Natalie or anything like that, but, uh, but, uh, but that's, that's the reasoning. That's my excuse anyway. Um, this morning, though, we are going to continue our series, our mini-series on faith or foolishness. Uh, last week, we started our, our conversation exploring the first half of Matthew, uh, walking through verses, uh, Matthew 14, verses 22 to 30. And we're going to finish it with the last three verses that, that Faye just read for us. Last week, though, we talked about how faith is a declaration of an, an identity. How Peter accepted the identity of Jesus as faithful, and it changed Peter's identity to faith-filled. He chose faith in Jesus over his comfort, his control, and the safety and security of the boat. And Peter made himself available, he was obedient, and he took a risk and trusted that God would take care of the results. As I said, we're going to finish the rest of the story. As many of you know, uh, last May and June, uh, for, our, for myself and my family, it was a pretty significant time. That was the time, that was the, the season of time for us that, that Thornhill had invited us to come and serve here. 
And when we received that invitation, we, my wife and I, we spent the next two, or actually our whole family did, began to, to pray through what is the Spirit's, um, we began to listen to, what, to whether it was Thornhill that had called us or whether it was in fact God who had called us here. And much like Peter, we had our own areas of comfort and security that we needed to confront and then let go of. We had our own boat, not just me, but, but our, our family did. And it became clearer and clearer as we listened to this spirit that for each of us, we had, pre, we had become pretty comfortable with where we were at. We had great friends, still have great friends there. A school that our kids loved. Our kids had meaningful relationships. We were connected with people from the church. We had just moved into a house that we loved just 18 months earlier. And the thought of leaving all of that to an unknown situation, to an unknown church, with so many variables that seemed unfamiliar, uncontrolled, and frankly uncomfortable, it was terrifying for each of us in so many different ways. Yet as Natalie and I continued to listen to this spirit, we couldn't help but still hear God calling us to come. And it wasn't just an invitation to come to Thornhill, but I believe it was an invitation for us to trust Him. And I'd be lying if I said that it was an easy decision. It wasn't. One night while we were praying, I was reminded of of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, particularly as he talks about the role of husbands and fathers. The call for us to, myself, to lead and love my family as Christ loves the church. And I quickly realized that I hadn't really been doing that. We were living such comfortable, safe lives that we had grown comfortable with being faithful churchgoers that we lost sight of what it means to be faithful Christ followers. And there is a difference. During this decision-making, I began to sense that coming to Thornhill wasn't just a decision to accept a call to come here, but that it was accepting a call to, be, to believe that Jesus is, in fact, faithful. And that as a husband and a father, that God was calling me to lead my family into a deeper expression of faith beyond anything that we had ever done to that point. Now at that point, we, were faith- we still had to make a decision. Were we going to say yes to fear? Say yes to our comfortable lifestyle? Say yes to controlling my life? Say yes to the safety and security of the boat that we were all living in, that we had built together? Or would we say yes to Jesus' invitation to come? So as we, as we re-enter this scene with Peter from last week, we see Peter has chosen to live by faith. He makes this faith decision. And as we talked about last week, Peter models a faith-filled life and the miraculous work that happens when he says yes to Jesus' invitation to come. But something happens to Peter that I think happens to many of us. That in spite of Peter's best intentions, the wind of doubt and the waves of distraction start to crash against him. And doubts start to overwhelm his faith. Doubts like, will the water hold me? What if the wind knocks me over? What if the waves pull me under? Or maybe larger questions like, what if God changes his mind? Are the wind, is the wind and the waves too powerful for Jesus? What if I fail? What if God fails? I was at Camp Caroline this past week for a 
ABA Pastors and Families Retreat. So it was filled with pastors and spouses sharing their hearts, and Pastor Sig was the speaker, and, and, we, and, and there, was a, there was a series of questions that we were able to dialogue about with different pastors from different churches around Alberta, and, and we were able to just share our hearts with each other. And as we were there, as we, as we discussed, I heard pastors and spouses sharing their hearts honestly, expressing their times of doubts when they, where they wrestled with God and what it meant to follow Him faithfully, just like Peter. I think many of us experience doubts from time to time and have questions about who Jesus claimed He is. The reality is, is that Jesus' death and resurrection were questioned and doubted by his followers within hours of it happening. And there are millions of people today who would question, doubt, and reject the call to put their faith in Jesus. And I suspect, just like me, many of you have your own questions and doubts as well. You have your own wind and waves. Doubt is acknowledging honestly that we have questions about the claims Jesus makes about himself in the kingdom. Honest questions about the claims Jesus makes about himself in the kingdom. See, one of two things typically happens when we begin to wrestle with our doubts honestly. One, we give up, we turn away from God, and we walk, we walk away because the doubts and the questions, the uncertainty, just aren't enough to build a foundation of faith upon. Or, we can lean into God. We can seek Him Genuinely turning to him, hoping that Jesus might reveal himself. German theologian Paul Tillich once said, Doubt isn't the opposite of faith, it is an element of faith. It's an element because it often becomes a springboard for the foundation or the assurance that we have in Jesus when we, gradu- when we genuinely lean into God in our times of doubt. Choosing to be okay or comfortable with not having all of our questions about Jesus answered. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the author of Hebrews says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Now the Greek word here for the, for the word assurance that we read in this passage is hupustasis, which basically means to build a foundation upon it. Hupustasis, to build a foundation upon it. So instead of how I've typically heard this passage, or how I've typically interpreted this passage, read this passage, the writer is actually telling us that faith is the foundation of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Faith becomes the basis, the root, the footing for us as we follow Jesus. And we choose Jesus because of the certainty of who he is outweighs the uncertainty of who he is. Choose Jesus because the certainty of who he is outweighs the uncertainty of who he is. Faith becomes a decision that we choose to make in Jesus. We choose to put our faith, our faith in him, even with the doubts that Jesus might not be who he claims to be. And I think this is where we find Peter who as soon as he steps on the water, begins to step towards Jesus. In faith, he immediately immediately has doubts. Like Peter, though, the wind and the waves of doubt and distraction can shake our foundation of faith. 
And as the wind and the waves pound on us while we walk with Jesus, it begins to distract our attention from Jesus. Fear can distract us. Because we think that God won't provide. Or we wonder if God really will be the faithful one that we just sang about. I shared a part of our story this past, in this past six months. That one of the big fears that, our, that we had was whether or not our kids would hate it here. That they would struggle relationally, struggle academically, struggle spiritually. We had fears about the unknown. Fears about whether God really cared about the things that we cared about. Fears that He really would meet our needs. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with, a, with somebody and, and he expressed some, his own serious doubts about God. And I asked him, you know, what, what caused, what's, what's, the, what's the root of these questions? What, what is causing these, these deep questions for you? And he said, well, look around the world. Kids dying starvation, famine. And his empathy, his, his hurting for the hurting raised these serious doubts and, as he struggled, and he struggled to reconcile the reality that he was observing in this world with the claims that he knew about God in Scripture. As a result, the assurance of faith, his assurance of faith, the foundation of faith that, that we are called to walk in was destroyed because he couldn't reconcile what he observed in the world with what he was told to believe about Jesus. For some, we have doubts because of fears that God, we think that God can't overcome the things that distract us. Things like our hurt, or our sin, or our past, or whatever hurdle that captures our hearts and minds in that moment. And these doubts can often draw us away from Jesus or into Jesus. We see that as soon as Peter starts to sink, he immediately leans into Jesus and says, Lord, save me. You see, Jesus was, you see, Peter was walking on the foundation, the assurance that Jesus was who he claimed to be. For Peter, he leaned into Jesus. And we see Christ's response in that immediate moment to Peter's, to Peter's crushing fear and doubt. And it says immediately, not Jesus hesitated. Jesus first wagged his figure. Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And what we see happen next is kind of this microcosm of what we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Sounds a little familiar. It carries a symbolic meaning as well. We discover that the word water that's used here actually carries some symbolic meaning as well. You see, the Hebraic word for sea or water in this particular case is ya'am, which means chaos. What's happening is, is the author of, of the creation account is, is intended to describe the condition of the land, of the, the, the context that, he, that, God was, that God was overseeing, that, it was, that it's intended to describe the condition of the land before God revealed his power and creativity. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of chaos. The Spirit of God brought order and peace to chaos and unsettledness. 
The Spirit of God takes disorder and brings order. The chaos, though, the Ya'am of the sea, had reared its eyes on these twelve disciples in the boat and presumed judgment was upon them. But it's when we see Jesus rescue Peter from the wind and the waves that we get a visible picture of what God's authority over all creation looks like, where even the wind and the waves obey him. Verse 32, they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Where the yam, or chaos, once existed is now shalom, or peace. Where yam was once existed is now shalom. Chaos into peace. It's in this deliverance on the water that Jesus shows us his dominion, his authority, his power, his faithfulness over our fears and our doubts. And whatever chaos that destabilizes the foundation of faith that you and I have put in Jesus. Why did you doubt? And we see this faithfulness actually declared in, the Exodus, in, in, in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses encountered God in the form of a burning bush. And it's in this chapter God calls Moses into a significant role to lead the exodus of the Israelites from out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And immediately, as, as, as God and Moses are having this dialogue, Moses immediately defaults to his past and his fears and his doubts. Moses very quickly identifies the wind and the waves in his life and loses faith. The doubts and distraction can, can be so overwhelming, especially when you've got a past like Moses. One of his big questions is, well, who's going to follow him? He knows who he is. He knows the kind of person he is. Who's going to follow that kind of guy? Can I just say as a leader, I can relate to that a lot. But it's God who responds to Moses' doubt with strength, hope, and authority. I am has sent me to you. It's not your past that qualifies or disqualifies you. It's not your skill set. It's not your wisdom or your knowledge. It's the power, authority, and strength of God lived out through us as we put our faith in Him. Let me say that again. It's the power, authority, and strength of God lived out through us as we put our faith in Him. I know the wind and the waves seem too big, and they are too big for you, for me. But Jesus says, I got you. And that same message is passed on to Peter. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus says, it is I. It's a, this is a euphemism for the language that we read in Exodus 3. I am. Take courage. I am. Do not be afraid. The parallel to the burning bush and Moses is significant because when God makes this claim to Moses, he's communicating to Moses that all the credentials he needs are from him. Jesus is saying, put your assurance, put your foundation of faith in I am. This I am statement is a declaration of who God is, then and forever, is the God who will deliver his people. Israel from the bondage of Egypt, Peter from the storm, you and I. And it's in this I am declaration that we see a primary truth of God. 
He is a deliverer. God's credentials delivered Moses and the Israelites from Egypt. It's God's credentials that delivered Peter from the wind and the waves of doubts and distractions. It's God's credentials that give you and I faith today. Last week on Thursday, we had a, we had a guy come in to, to, to do some work on our furnaces, just to do some regular maintenance. Uh, typically, if you were to go into my office right now, it's probably three or four or ten degrees warmer, uh, and I'm not, it's not, there's no hyperbole there, uh, than the rest of the church. But when I came in on Friday morning, my office felt like a meat locker. I checked the thermostat, and it read that the temperature in my office was 12 degrees Celsius. It's pretty hard to type when your fingers are frozen. So when I called the company, they sent a guy very quickly to come take a look at it and figured out what happened. Within minutes, the technician realized that there was a loose connection causing the furnace not to work that it was intended to. Now, I could have went down there to the furnace and started poking around and pulling wires and, and you know, doing whatever and tried to, tried to decide to fix it myself. But I know enough about me, and I know that I know enough, not enough about furnaces to say that's, I need to get someone else to do the job. And just like the furnace, I need, I need outside help with my doubts and distractions. It's God who fixes those loose connections. Doubts and distractions are like a loose connection in the foundation of faith we stand on. When we look to Jesus, when we turn to Jesus in our doubts, we experience his authority. We receive his faithfulness and his deliverance. About eight years ago, my daughter Abigail was four or five years old, and I decided that it was time for her to, to learn how to ride the bike without training wheels. And Abby has always been a fairly athletic child, and so biking came pretty naturally to her. And behind our house, we had a nice, quiet, long, paved alley. And so there was lots of runway for her to swerve and correct her balance as she was learning how to balance on a two-wheeled bike. One of the big challenges for her, though, was that everywhere her eyes went, that's where the bike went as well. So if Abby's pedaling along and she saw a cat over there, she, oh, a cat, and she would begin to steer towards it. Thankfully, she didn't run over any cats. They were too quick. Um, or she was, you know, she'd bike and she'd see a pretty flower and she'd be distracted by that and she'd run into the fence. And, and that would happen for quite, quite a, reg, it was pretty irregular. And, and so that happened pretty, pretty, pretty often. And so one of the things that I realized is I need to figure out a different strategy for, for Abigail. So I, said, so I went to the end of the alley, and I gave her these very clear instructions. Abigail, I want you to keep your eyes on me. Don't worry about anything else. Don't look sideways. Don't look up. Don't look down. I want you to pedal, and I want you to keep your eyes on me. That's it. I think faith looks a little bit like that where it's easier if we can just focus our eyes on Jesus. Jesus in the water with Peter. Come, just keep your eyes on me. Don't look too far down the road. Don't look to the sides. Just look forward. Just look at me. Don't worry about three months from now. Because if you do that, you'll lose sight of me. All you'll see is the wind and the waves thrashing around you. Just look at me. Don't get suffocated by all the doubts and distractions around you. Keep your eyes on me. 
And as we do that, as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we begin to reaffirm the truth that Jesus is in fact who he claims to be. I am. And as we keep our eyes on him, we remind ourselves that it's in the name of Jesus that calms the seas. It's the name of Jesus that calms the seas. So what are some things that we can do to refocus our eyes on Jesus and stand in the foundation of the faith that we are called to? the assurance of faith that the Hebrew writers call us to. One, be honest. So often I've seen people run from doubt or ashamed of it. We think that if we have doubts that, that our faith is weak or we're lacking in some way or we don't have the maturity to embrace the claims of Jesus without having questions. As a church, historically, we've done a really good job of celebrating acts of faith. But rarely do we provide space for us to talk about our doubts. I think it's in those honest moments of doubt where we can validate those doubts and distractions and admit that, yeah, I have doubts. We have doubts. And it allows us to vulnerably make ourselves available for the Holy Spirit to now speak into our lives. Two. Lean into Jesus. As I said earlier, we can either turn from God in our doubts and distractions, we can become angry and discouraged, or we can lean into Him. I mentioned earlier about the gentleman that I was talking with a couple weeks ago about his deep, honest conversations and questions about Jesus. I'm glad he has those questions. But what I hope he does with them is turn to Jesus with them rather than the opinion of man, rather than his own opinion. We, I, are all lacking and limited in what we have to offer ourselves to build up our faith. Like Peter, the first name he called out wasn't John or Matthew. Who was it? Jesus. Lean into Jesus by reading his word, praying, spending time with him, listening, Resting. Three, don't doubt alone. Now that might seem to contradict what I just said, but it doesn't. Often when we experience doubt, we we isolate ourselves because we don't know what to do with it. We're either embarrassed and ashamed. It's scary. But it's important that if we have doubts, to explore what those doubts are with trusted people that will point us back towards Jesus. To be the listening ear that we need. A couple of weeks ago, we had a prayer gathering with the elders, and, and I brought forward a prayer request, and I so appreciated their response. Because sometimes when we have prayer requests and we have needs that we, that we like people to pray for, we, often, we suddenly think that that's an opportunity to give advice or spiritual platitudes. But the elders didn't do that. Instead, all they did was bring my request to the feet of Jesus and asked him to, do, to, to care for it. Don't doubt alone. Four, experience his grace. When I look at the times in Scripture where people doubted, something changes when they come through the other end. The foundation of their faith is strengthened. The worship of their character is richer. And it encourages others' faith as well. God doesn't give up on us when we falter from our doubts 
Jesus' reaction to Peter when Peter called out to him was to immediately reach out his hand and pull him from the water. Now, I'd be lying if I said that in the last six months since we've been here, that there haven't been wind and waves that have caused doubt to creep into mine and Natalie's hearts. But we've chosen to continue to lean into him because we know that he has been faithful in the past. And so we have now have a foundation that he will continue to be faithful because of his grace. Jesus doesn't hesitate. He loves you too much to let you get overcome from the wind and waves of doubt and distraction. Call out his name and experience his grace. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The convictions of things not seen. I want to wait Pastor Gary to come on up and he can lead us in, in communion this morning. We could have the communion team join us this morning.